In AD 1966, This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast one, 100, no, 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 213 for February uh, the 8th, 2009. Thanks to Katrine in uh, Berlin in Germany for sending in that cool intro. Thanks very much. Always great to hear from people outside of the United States. I, you know, you get so american-centric here with some uk listeners and that and some canada canadians canada some canada people <laughs> oh i'm a little goofy this morning i apologize uh, or maybe you guys like that i don't know anyway i want to thank the guest host once again for doing that great doctor who podcast kenny meds and casey did an excellent job and gave me a little breathing room last week and a chance to get caught up some some stuff that I've got uh, happening, and oh, there's always a ton of things to do. Anyway, but I'm back in action this week. We're going to be looking at the uh, the TNG Next Generation film Star Trek Insurrection is going to be the main topic. We've got a lot of listener entries. It's probably going to be a long podcast. Uh, probably doubtful that I'll have room for a collectible towards the end, but we'll see. And uh, anyway, hey, say who watched the uh, Super Bowl last weekend? Uh, I'm not really much of a football fan, but uh, I watched it mainly to uh, see the commercials, and and one in particular. Uh, Listen to this. You've always had a hard time finding your place in this world. Are you talking to me, man? You can settle for an ordinary life. I dare you to do better. Leonard McCoy. Jim Kirk. Good luck. Yes, that's the uh, very cool Super Bowl uh, Star Trek commercial that aired last week uh, during the game and now can be seen online all over the place. Star Trek movie dot com, YouTube, uh, just all over the uh, iTunes, everywhere is pretty much uh, a place to look for it, uh, or Apple, I guess, Apple Trailers is uh, apple.com slash trailer, something like that. Anyway, uh, some cool new uh, footage in there. Uh, I'm not going to talk a huge amount about it, but I, I, uh, I it's... Uh, it's looking like like a lot of people have been saying, you know, this is kind of a souped-up, uh, very energetic, very youthful take on, on Star Trek, and I, I just think it's going to be fantastic still. Uh, people are, of course, uh, the the real, you know, diehard, I don't know if that's even the right word, but uh, some of the Trekkies out there are going like, this isn't Star Trek, there's this, and this is wrong. And, and, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I'm just excited to see another Star Trek film. I've said many, 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 many times 
Uh, let's uh, all just sort of hang in there and wait till May, you know, is another thing. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and again, I, I continue to say that th- this is the kind of movie that you got to make these days if you want to make the money. And let's just hope that they've kept the, uh, you know, kind of the ideals and the spirit of Trek alive in it. Uh, I have no doubt there are going to be a, quite a few differences, but I still think it's going to be a fun movie. And uh, I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> All right, some uh, a little few bits of business uh, to attend to before we get in heavy into the show. Uh, I wanted to mention that uh, a recasting of the Next Generation contest that uh, I've had going for the last few weeks. The voting is tallied and in on the forum for the various lists that people posted or, or sent in, I should say, that I posted up. And the winner is Jen. Jen wins with her TNG uh, recasting list. She had some very interesting entries. Uh, a lot of great stuff was, was put out, and I'd like to do this maybe again. Maybe we'll do one of the other shows in the future. I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, you can check that all out. I'll try to put a post on the main website about this, uh, but it's also on the forums as well. And if you're not a member, well, you should be. So just go over to treksinsci-fi.com and click on the forum link, and registration is open. So, Jen, uh, just shoot me an email with uh, your address and that, and I'll get that DVD uh, uh, set of uh, podcasts out to you. One other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, a cool uh, new uh, radio uh, or internet radio streaming uh, station has contacted me uh, to uh, play my podcast. Uh, The idea here is they're going to do it a couple times a week. The uh, shows are going to go out on Tuesdays. The new shows, they'll broadcast those at 7 p.m. Eastern and again at midnight. And uh, old podcasts, uh, sort of archived shows, sort of randomly uh, played, will uh, air on Thursday night, 7 and at midnight. Uh, this can be found over at radiogalactica.net uh, is where you go, and the information there to how to access the uh, the stream. If you're familiar with Internet radio, you'll understand uh, how to do this pretty well. If you're not, usually things like uh, a program called Winamp works pretty well to do this. You can do it in iTunes sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's a little funky, though, in that. Uh, I've always had the best luck with Winamp to get uh, these uh, internet radio stations to play. Also, Windows Media Player, I think, will do it as well. But anyway, check it out over at radiogalactica.net. You know, if you happen to be online somewhere around those times, you can just sort of pop over there and have it streaming and listen to uh, the latest episode Tuesdays and reruns on Thursdays. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand-new podcast. It's called... Take him with you. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. Yeah, I highly recommend that everyone go check out uh, Mr. Moyer's latest uh, little uh, entrepreneur effort and uh, fun show 
over at uh, TakeHimWithYou.com. Definitely give him your support. Uh, Rick's the one that creates a lot of the parody songs, always submits some cool father and son uh, commentary for the shows and is just a good friend for the podcast. So check out his new show again over at TakeHimWithYou.com. How about the news in the world of sci-fi? Stay tuned. just a little uh, trailer teaser for some of the recent going-ons on the Battlestar Galactica, you know, the pretty much to me the best show on television right now. It's it's just so fracking good right now. They they've uh, come back strong uh, with these episodes. Uh, I'm not going to give away too many spoilers. I don't think there really was much in that trailer as a spoiler uh, to me at least. Anyway, if you're not watching this show, you really should be. If you've never watched, you know, get caught up, the, get the DVDs, figure out a way to do it, and, and watch, you know, again, some of the best acted, best written, just best produced television. It's just so much more than just, you know, another geeky sci-fi show, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way at all. I mean, I just, it's just, I hope people out there, even people who just like good drama, will tune into this show and appreciate it for years to come because it's just so good. I, I, I just, again, I, I've, I don't think there's been too many shows that I've been so on the edge of my seat for as Galactica has been. And, you know, it's, it, it's just so – you get so involved and you care so much about these characters. And to me, that's always what good TV and, and good movies and, and just – you know, a good book and any kind of entertainment to me, if, if you can't get pulled in and start to sort of, uh, you know, care about the characters, wonder what's going to happen to them, be, be happy, be sad for them and all that kind of stuff. It, it's just that that's what really makes it for me on a, on something like this. It's always been like that with Trek with me. Uh, you know, I like, of course, the story, you know, arcs and the plots and things, but the character moments and things, and that's what Galactica really shines on, I think. The plots and, and, and the overall story is interesting, too, and I want to see where it all goes and ends up, but again, at the end of the day, it's how the characters, what they've all gone through, how hard it's been for them, and how much they've had to, uh, you know, strive and, and just crawl through all the the you know the garbage and stuff that's happened to them over the seasons it's just you know the the fact that they can continue to go on uh they you know some of them haven't wanted to even and it's just uh it's just such a good show so uh friday nights we've got about i think oh i don't know what we're down to maybe seven episodes or something like that still but it's it's a great show and you all should be watching
Hello everyone, this is Vartok again with another Music in Sci-Fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about Christopher Frank, the renowned composer and musician of music for the Emmy award-winning Babylon 5 science fiction series. Chris was born on April 6, 1953 in Berlin, Germany, which placed him at the knife's edge during the Cold War. He grew up in a musical family, starting with the violin, then taking up the trumpet, and there was a piano in the house. Everybody in the house played an instrument, and there were string quartets on weekends. Chris noted, I also had a counterpoint to all this classical training, which was the drums. This was my puberty anti-aggression relief instrument, which was also my gate to freeform, rock, and underground music. So I had two sides, classical and the more experimental open music. At the time, his band, Agitation Free, rehearsed in the basement of his parents' house. Chris began his formal music training in classical music and composition at the Berlin Conservatory. However, together with his composition teacher, they set up a sound studio at the conservatory that evolved into the Berlin School of Electronic Music. It was there that he met other like-minded musicians and became a member of Tangerine Dream, also known as TD in the music industry. After joining Tangerine Dream, he waved his education goodbye and became a professional musician. His parents signed his first music contract when he was 17. Between 1970 and 1988, Tangerine Dream released 36 albums and composed scores for over 30 feature films, including ones you've probably heard of, such as Legend, Sorcerer, Thief, Firestarter, and Risky Business. I opened this segment with the 1986 Tangerine Dream track, Astro Voyager. In 1988, after 18 years of non-stop recording and touring, Chris left TD to go solo. And three years later, in 91, he released his first album called Pacific Coast Highway. In 1991, he opened a new recording studio in Hollywood as he became a successful film music composer. Two years later, in 1993, Chris started the record label Sonic Images and has subsequently released numerous studio recordings and soundtracks. Chris was among the first to use electronic synthesizers, such as the Moog, and is one of the pioneers in electronic music. In 1991, he founded the Berlin Symphonic Film Orchestra. Interestingly, today he composes and completes his keyboard music at his studio in Los Angeles, while the orchestra is conducted in his large studio in Germany, so he doesn't have to travel. The size of the orchestra can range from 4 to 80 plus musicians, depending upon the piece. He can be using fiber optics to record from L.A. real-time to Berlin, with up to six phone lines open at the same time. What a phone bill. Chris has composed sci-fi music for feature films, such as the blockbuster Universal Soldier, starting Claude Van Damme, as well as for television, 
including the 1994 TV series Mantis, about a paralyzed African-American scientist who builds a powerful exoskeleton in order to walk again and then uses his new abilities to fight crime. In the background, you've been listening to the track Unisols on Fire from the 1992 Universal Soldier movie. And of course, the cult sci-fi series, Babylon 5, produced by J. Michael Straczynski, which ran from 1994 through 99, with multiple made-for-TV movies, including the recent Babylon 5, The Lost Tales, which was released direct-to-DVD in 2007. After the pilot to Babylon 5 was scored by Stuart Copeland, it was decided to find another composer more in sync with the goals of the series which resulted in Chris's selection. When asked what approach he took on the B-5 series, Chris responded, be as experimentally friendly as possible without leaving the happy marriage between the orchestral and electronic sounds. But for every season, there are some underlying musical rules I try to establish, types of instrumentation, a degree of edginess. The show was getting more and more intense and aggressive as well as sad because the aggression is not welcome within the characters of the show. So there's an increasing level of change from season to season. It's an ever-evolving process. And now for the poser later in this podcast. Christopher Frank is well known for composing all of the Babylon 5 music after the pilot series. What is different between the TV series music and the music you will find on many of his Babylon 5 CDs? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. Well, thanks once again, Vartok, for that excellent uh, musical segment, uh, the first intro part, and I'll play the answer segment later on in the show. Uh, yeah, I've always uh, loved Christopher's uh, music on Babylon 5. Uh, it just seemed to really suit the show, the sort of, uh, you know, that was the show that started with, you know, computer digital effects and the electronic sort of sounding music uh, just suited it so well. And uh, like you said, I, I like the intensity that grew uh, throughout the later seasons. I'm a big Babylon 5 fan. So uh, thanks so much for doing that, Vartok. And uh, stay tuned, and we'll play the rest of Vartok's segment later on in the podcast. Hold on. While Rico takes a break to get some more Gatorade, I wonder what the drink of the week is. Okay, a few other things to mention uh, before we get into the heavy discussion on, uh, not heavy as in super serious, I'm never super serious, am I? (laughs) Anyway, uh, before we get into insurrection talk, uh, I wanted to mention uh, uh, some donations that have come in, uh, Jedi Jeff, and some monthly donations. I want to always thank uh, those people that uh, send in and support the podcast, it really helps uh, with uh, all the costs involved and equipment and bandwidth and web hosting and monthly fees and just all that. It's always a great thing if you get a chance, uh, treksinsci-fi.com, and just uh, click on the donation link and, and send in what you can if you uh, feel like it. Uh, that's all, of course, up to you. A couple of other bits of sci-fi news. Uh, That new Joss Whedon show, Dollhouse, will be premiering uh, this coming Friday, uh, Friday the 13th, on the Fox Network. I think it's going to be that 
uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles, the, the Terminator show will be on at 8, and I think Dollhouse is on at 9. So uh, it's going to be a big sci-fi night, and then Battlestar Galactica is on the Sci-Fi Channel at 10, at least in my neck of the woods in the United States, and I don't, I don't know about Canada. I guess they probably get around the same time. Uh, but uh, it's going to be uh, hopefully a good show, Dollhouse. I'm looking forward to uh, to what they do with that. It's had a lot of ups and downs and things that have happened. I know the, the pilot was redone completely, but I'm looking forward to it. I hope Joss gets a chance to... Uh, to show us what uh, he's come up with and that they don't like somehow yank the show real too, too soon. I mean, it would be nice for Joss Whedon, you know, he had Buffy and Angel and they lasted for, for quite a while. Buffy was on for seven years and Angel for five, but you know, with what's happened with Firefly, you know, I'd, I'd love Joss to have another long running show. Uh, he's such a good writer and, and, and so fun to, uh, to watch his stuff. I, I'd love Dollhouse to be a big hit for him. So uh, we'll all be watching that. I'm sure. She's also very bold yes. and um, not afraid to back down. I mean, she stands up to Tarkin right. on the bridge of his ship yep, she and does. says some, something to the extent of, um, the more you tighten your grip, the more systems will slip through your fingers. He's like towering over oh, Vader yeah, and Tarkin she's both. And she's, I think that was a nice choice, too. Not only is Carrie Fisher very smart uh-huh. and um, articulate, but she's small. So it's a yes. nice contrast to see this small woman be so independent and fierce, you know, yeah. standing up against something that's so much bigger than her. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours. The Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. As we know it, stands still. Where every moment is a universe in itself. But what if the existence of this world and its secret to eternal youth was threatened? What if those entrusted to protect it... In six hours, every living thing in this system will be dead. Or dying. Are the ones who would destroy it... Who the hell are we to determine the next course of evolution for this people? I'm acting on orders from the Federation Council. And the only hope for its survival... If a court-martial is the only way to tell the Federation what is happening here, I welcome it, Admiral. ...is for one captain and his crew to commit an act of treason. Lock and load. Send down an assault team and take them by force. ship has been disabled. Eliminate them. Captain. Fire. Star Trek. Insurrection. Well, 
Okay, let's get into the discussion about this uh, next uh, TNG Star Trek movie, uh, one that I haven't covered before, been meaning to, and, and trying to get through all the movies before the new one opens in May. Star Trek uh, Insurrection is the topic of uh, discussion and clips and fun today. Uh, this came out in 1998 uh, on December 11th, so it's just about 10 years old now, and uh, it's it's really kind of... Uh, Amazing to me it's been that long, 10 years since this movie was out. It was uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes. It, the story was by Rick Berman and Michael Piller, both, of course, uh, very much uh, TNG veterans. Berman kind of running the show, and, and Piller, one of the mainstay writers uh, of the show. And it was by the, the screenplay was done by Piller also. The idea with this story, Paramount had kind of decided after... Uh, the, the stories that they had done in Generations and First Contact, they kind of went uh, and said, hey, we'd like to do another Trek movie, but let's let's kind of try to lighten it up just a little bit and, and you know, kind of get the focus back on, on just the crew and, and, and particular, you know, some particular mission and, and, you know, maybe have a little love story in there if you could and, and maybe a little some comedy elements and things. Something a little not quite as grim. Obviously, First Contact had done very well. It was a very serious story with... Uh, both the Borg and time travel and, and, you know, an excellent film, my, my favorite of the TNG movies. And I think a lot of people's, but, but still it, you can't keep up that kind of a movie. You can't make that kind of, you know, the, the galaxy is going to be, you know, destroyed practically, or the Federation is going to be gone kind of a film every time. I, I think it's a mistake to try to do that each time. So they, you know, they, I think they did a wise move here by trying to move things in a little different direction for insurrection the uh th- this film is really I-, I watched it again last night when i was collecting up the clips the film is really beautifully shot uh there's a lot of cool uh location work in this movie that you don't get to see quite as much in in, in some of the other movies they're mostly ship based primarily i mean first contact took place a little bit on earth but it was mostly kind of dark and dingy and things like that so it's in generations you had a little bit uh, on, on a planet setting, but again, this one I think you see something—a very beautiful setting, the lakes and the trees. Uh, it reminded me when they're walking around some of the Baku village in this movie. A lot of uh, some of the old Star Trek uh, series when they would go to different planets, and they all kind of looked like the hills of California a little bit. But they'd found some parks and things to do uh, scenes in, especially the old episode Shore Leave and that. And it reminds me of some of that. Uh, but I, I really like the way this is filmed. Jonathan Frakes, I think, did a great job directing it. Uh, and, and it's just a fun movie to watch. Not not my favorite of the films uh, that TNG did. Uh, I think that, you know, I think there could have been some things to tighten this up a little bit. I have a few little, yeah, tiny little quibbles with a few little bits of it. Uh, kind of the idea that the Federation was okay with what they were doing uh, and what they ordered them to do is, is one uh, you, you don't really get a good sense that that's completely maybe the truth uh, with this admiral and the stuff that he tries to feed Picard. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, of course, with the uh, the Sona, and uh, it's well, we'll talk about that as we go through the clips. But you know, a few little things like that, and, and they had to kind of make some changes. If you read through some of the detail on this in some of the companion books that are out uh, for TNG and some things online, it went through quite a few uh, changes. 
the whole thing with Data at the beginning of the movie was not there to begin with. That was going to be sort of Picard, actually, more. He was going to be kind of a renegade at the very beginning of it all. He's going to find out what was going on and then bring the Enterprise and some of the crew involved them and, and all that. So, you know, they did change quite a bit of this movie. They had some other footage that they took out. Uh, there was going to be some cameos in this from... Uh, Cork, especially from Deep Space Nine, they had to cut that for time. And uh, but uh, but overall, I think it's still a, again a solid movie, a lot of fun to watch, and some great moments in here. Where as the crew kind of uh, it becomes a little more youthful, they they got to play with that a lot, and uh, I think that's a lot of fun to see. So uh, let's get into uh, some clips, and I'll talk more as we go. The first one, let's see what I've got lined up here. This one I think is just in in the beginning with uh, involving Data and what's happening in his kind of slight malfunction after he discovers what's going on on the uh, planet. Find shelter. Everyone, get inside. Now, back to your home. Move it. Now, move. Secondary protocols active. They can see him. Stop him. Now. Data, stand down. That's an order. I repeat, stand down! Yeah, I like uh, I like a lot how this movie starts out. Uh, you don't exactly know what's going on. They show you the village and the, this very peaceful setting and all these uh, people uh, just kind of going about their business. And then, of course, Data and, and what happens with him. He looks like he's kind of gone out of control a little bit. It's uh, it's very interesting. You don't, again, know what's going on. Eventually, you know, fairly quickly we learn what's going on. But I think it's a cool way to start the film. You don't just start it on the on the Enterprise itself. You start it on this planet that's going to be kind of the focus of the movie. I, I like that idea a lot. I, I think that's kind of neat because it kind of shows you that they've been doing other things. Data is off kind of helping them on this little... Uh, uh, you know, observation mission that they're that they're supposedly on, which is in, you know, there's a lot more going on than than he realizes at the time, and that's what causes his uh, his malfunction and uh, the secondary protocol thing to to kick into gear. So I, I really really like the way this starts out. Yeah, the I wanted to mention here about this this Baku village that they created here. It's uh, at a place uh, in uh, California, I believe. It's it's called Lake Sherwood. Which is kind of funny because there's a there's a little place, a lake, uh, only you know a couple minutes from where I live here in Michigan. That's called Lake Sherwood, also. But I don't think it's that. Uh, it's a very pretty setting. They created this whole village and and all of that uh, there. That's not a uh, you know a, a location that they just visited and filmed in. They made this whole thing for the movie, in particular probably the biggest outdoor set for a Trek movie up in, at least until this point. I don't know about with the new movie coming out if they've got something even bigger there. But this one was something that they created just for the movie. And I think it looks real, real, real just perfect. It's, uh, it, it, I just was a little surprised that it wasn't just a, a location that they found and used, that they built the whole thing. So 
I just thought I'd mention that uh, before we go to the next clip, which is I think we're back aboard the Enterprise, and this is a conversation between that Admiral Doherty and uh, Picard about getting Picard or getting Data's schematic, excuse me, uh, to kind of shut him down. So listen to this. He's not acknowledging any Starfleet protocols, not responding to any of our hails. Have you any idea what precipitated this behavior? None. Now he's holding our people hostage down there. Well, the Enterprise could be at your position in two days, Admiral. That's probably not a good idea. Your ship hasn't been fitted for this region. There are environmental concerns. What kind of concerns? We haven't fully identified the anomalies yet. They're calling this whole area the Briar Patch. It took us a day to reach a location where we could even get a signal to you. Just get me data schematics. I'll keep you informed. Dowerty out. His emotion chip? He didn't take it with him. Send the Admiral data schematics. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ensign, would you report to the galley and tell the chef to skip the fish course? Aye, sir. I would uh, like our guest to depart as soon as etiquette allows. I need to ask Worf to delay his return to DS9 so that he can join us. We're going to stop by Sector 441 on our way to the guard system. They are in opposite directions, sir. Are they? Yeah, so that's uh, the actor uh, playing uh, the Admiral in this movie is uh, Anthony Zerbe. Zerbe. He's uh, a great character actor, been in a ton of stuff over the years. Uh, does a great job here. Uh, actually, though, uh, Patrick Stewart wanted uh, a friend of his, a British actor named Brian Blessed, who was in uh, he was in Space 1999. He was also in that movie Flash Gordon from, I think that movie was 1980. Uh, he was the, the king of the winged guys or whatever. I don't know what his name is. I forget. But anyway, uh, Brian Bless, big, big uh, actor, very full of life kind of guy. Uh, he, uh, Patrick Stewart wanted him in this role in this Admiral's uh, spots here. But I think uh, Anthony does a great job in the part. Uh, you kind of uh, understand his motivations. Um, the Federation is trying to look for allies. The Dominion War is going strong at this point, and the, the Sona have some technology and things that, that could help them out. Uh, so in order for them, uh, Federation, to kind of ally themselves with them, they make this little arrangement, which Picard is going to find out very soon here. The next clip that I'm going to play, th- this is a fun part. This is this uh, bit with this song uh, when they uh, try to bring uh, Data down, Worf and... Uh, Picard take a, a shuttle and are, are trying to disable uh, Data, who is also on a ship that's flying uh, near the Bo- Baku homeworld. And well, let me play the clip, and you'll know what's going on. This is a fun, the fun part, though. I like the the getting all of them singing, and uh, it is always fun in these movies. Mr. Wolf, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? No, sir. I have not had a chance to meet all the new crew members since I have been back. The composer's wolf from the 19th century. Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore just before he left. A British tar is a soaring soul as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. Sing, wolf, sing. 
His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should furl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should curl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. Prepare the doggy claps. His eye should flash with an inborn fire, his brow with scorn be wrong. He never should bow down to a domineering frown, or the, or the tang, tang of a tired tongue. His heart should stump, and his throat should growl. His hair should curl, and his face should scowl. His eyes should flash, and his breast protrude. And this should be his customary attitude. Good scene there, uh, cool effects. So, by the way, the effects in this movie, the special effects, are none of the ships in this movie for the first time in a Star Trek film are are physical models. Everything here was digitally created uh, in a computer, CGI, and all that for the uh, the various Trek ships and everything. The all the all the effects in space and everything are all digitally created for the first time for a Star Trek movie. Uh, the neat thing there about that scene is there is an Isaac Asimov story called Runaround where uh, a malfunctioning robot uh, recites that Gilbert and Sullivan song uh, while he's evading capture by his uh, human masters. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. And, you know, much of Data's, uh, his character is created and was uh, sort of patterned after a lot of Asimov's writings and, you know, his positronic brain and all of that uh, was mentioned in a lot of Asimov, uh, uh, you know, robot stories that he's written. So uh, just, uh, you know, interesting little side note, I thought. And I like the fact that, you know, Picard's trying to kind of distract Data and get him thinking about that so they have a chance to sort of couple to his ship and then bring him down. So anyway, uh, a fun scene. Well, as the as the crew uh, starts to be exposed to this metaphasic uh, radiation from these rings uh, around this planet, they start to act a little differently. And, and it's fun because in the movie you don't see or you don't know the reason for the these differences in the way they're acting with Picard dancing around and, and Worf uh, going kind of through Klingon puberty again. And, and the relationship between Riker and Troy, I think, is uh, is, a lot, is is really nice, and, and it's nice to see a little more romance uh, with the Enterprise crew, I think, and Riker and Troy, of course, having a relationship a, a long time ago and then sort of off and on, you know, just being good friends for the years and, and now kind of getting back a little closer in this movie. So uh, this scene that I'm going to play for you now is a little bit of that start of that, and uh, I think it's kind of fun to see, uh, see them have have some uh you know romance uh, between them again and uh, they obviously have a fun time doing this i think the two uh you know uh, jonathan and marina do a great job here come in hi you got a minute sure i need a little counseling well it's the first time for everything 
So do I lie down or what? Um, well, whatever makes you comfortable, but this isn't one of the usual therapeutic postures. But it is comfortable. Mm -hmm. Why don't you try sitting up? Why don't you try lying down? Well, you're in quite a mood today. Do you really need counseling or did you come down here to play? I think I'm having a midlife crisis. I believe you. I'm not sleeping well. Dr. Crusher has something that can take care of that. What I need, I can't get from Dr. Crusher. Counselor, do you think it's possible for two people to go back in time, fix a mistake they've made? On this ship, anything's possible. Yuck! Yuck? <laughs> I never kissed you with a beard before. I kiss you and you say yuck? Yeah, so uh, I guess Troy doesn't like beards, <laughs> but anyway, it, yeah, it's a fun uh, fun to see that, and it, you know, kind of leads into their uh, their wedding that they end up having in Nemesis uh, near the beginning of that movie. So it, it's nice how they they got a chance to sort of continue their relationship, and and uh, it sort of uh, you know takes uh, the course of a couple movies, but they finally get together. So uh, next clip. This uh, is when uh, they discover this this hollow ship, which I think is a really neat idea, this idea that they're going to uh, try to take the Baku and, and transport them away from this planet to another and, and uh, you know, make them not really exactly realize what, uh, what they're doing. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I, again, I still have a little bit of a problem with the Federation going along with all this. It just... It doesn't really make sense to me. You know, they they have this little loophole. They say something like in the movie, uh, "Well, they're not native to this planet," and I'm like, "Well, so what? You know, they're they're still you're interfering with their their society and their culture." I, I never understood why just because they're not natives to the planet that makes any difference at all. So, uh, but anyway, here you go with uh, another clip. It is a holographic projection. Incomplete, I might add. What you're seeing is a computer-driven image created by photons and force fields. I know what a hologram is, Captain. The question is, why would anyone want to create one of our village? Data, if you were following the children and discovered this ship... It is conceivable I was shot to protect the secret of its existence. Why would they duplicate this village except to deceive the Baku? Deceive us. To move you off this planet. You go to sleep one night in the village, wake up the next morning on this flying holodeck, transported en masse. Within a few days, get relocated on a similar planet without ever realizing it. Why would the Federation or the Sona wish to move the Baku? I don't know. They have a very good guest cast here. I, I like Donna Murphy is playing the Baku woman Anij Anij N I I J Anij. Anyway, uh, why couldn't they just call her like Annie or something? <laughs> but uh, she does a really good job. I think she's a good, uh, uh, you know, kind of counterpart to uh, Patrick Stewart and Picard. Uh, she's very kind of a little bit mystical and ethereal, and, that, and that's what the Baku are a little bit. They've I, I also like this idea that 
these people are very advanced technologically. They have a lot of knowledge, and but they choose to not, you know, become, you know, dependent on their machines. They said that, that a few times in this movie. They like the kind of simple way of life, uh, and uh, you know, growing their own food, and not you don't see a lot of mechanical uh, aids to them uh, on, in their little village. There, they they don't live like the Federation with replicators and transporters and all that kind of stuff. But they do know that technology they know warp drive they know those things they just choose not to do it which is i again a neat idea something different for a change you know usually the times they've met advanced cultures they've always been kind of like the federation out flying around in space and, and pushing each other around and this is just kind of a nice change of pace and a nice a refreshing idea that the advanced cultures might not really want to do that. And they, they did that in some of classic Trek as well. They would run into a couple of uh, alien races that were kind of also had that idea. So um, the next uh, clip, this one kind of explains what kind of they're all after. This one is about the uh, the Baku explaining their metaphasic uh, radiation from these rings and how it keeps them all young and, and youthful. A home that would be isolated from the threats of other worlds. That was 309 years ago. And you haven't aged a day since then. Actually, I was a good deal older when we arrived in terms of my physical condition. There's an unusual metaphasic radiation coming from the planet's rings. It continuously regenerates our genetic structure. You must have noticed the effects by now. We've just begun to. I suppose you're 75. No, I'm 12. The metaphasic radiation won't begin to affect him until he reaches maturity. To most offlanders, what you have here is more valuable than gold-pressed latinum. I'm afraid that's the reason that someone may be trying to take your world away from you. The artificial life form is right. If it were not for data, it's probable that you would be relocated by now. How can we possibly defend ourselves? The moment we pick up a weapon, we become one of them. We lose everything we are. It may not come to that. Clearly, the architects of this conspiracy want to keep it a secret, not only from you, but from my people as well. I don't intend to let them. So there you get some more information about this effect of this radiation on the people and how it keeps them very young and uh, basically they don't age until after they've reached uh, maturity. And they actually, if they're a little older, uh, they would even sort of youthen up a little bit. Uh, a neat idea, sort of a fountain of youth story. And that was sort of the basic uh, concept that uh, Michael Piller came up with when he was first crafting this movie and story was that he wanted to do something like that where there was this uh, fountain of youth tale on this planet. The Enterprise would kind of be, become involved in that. Uh, I, I want to skip back just a second, though, and mention that that uh, lake that Data walked into, mentioned that little scene, uh, that was out at a place called Convict Lake in Mammoth Lakes Park in near Mammoth, California, where they filmed that very beautiful setting mountains in the background and i guess the water was pretty cold when bren had to walk out into it and they had to kind of cover his tricorder in in a thin layer of plastic to keep it sort of waterproofed under the water and uh they, they pretty much did that what you see there so uh i thought that was a fun scene and uh i didn't really capture that i don't think as an audio clip so i thought i'd mention it now 
Next clip, though, is uh, something, I think, a critical scene. This is the scene between the Admiral uh, Darty guy and Picard, and kind of, you know, this this is really set Picard up for uh, disobeying uh, the Federation and Starfleet's, you know, orders and, and basically going rogue, and, uh, you know, he pulls off his pips after this and decides to defend these people and not let them do. And he has some very good points to make, and I, I really like the what he does here and patrick stewart always has that very convincing uh very righteous tone that he can get going and it works very well in this movie uh in star trek insurrection and it will destroy the baku just as cultures have been destroyed in every other forced relocation throughout history jean-luc We're only moving 600 people. How many people does it take, Admiral, before it becomes wrong? Hmm? 50,000. 50,000. A million. How many people does it take, Admiral? I'm ordering you to the Goran system. I'm also ordering the release of the sonar officers. File whatever protests you wish to, Captain. By the time you do, this will all be done. Yeah, good scene there. And uh, just, you know, he has a, an excellent point. I mean, is it, is it moving one person, ten, a thousand, a hundred thousand? What does it take before it's a, the wrong thing to do? You know, they want to... Uh, they want to capture these metaphasic uh, particles and radiation emitter thingies out of the rings, which is basically going you know, to destroy the planet in, in a way. And and that is why they're moving the Baku. At least they're not just killing them outright. They're trying to move them. But uh, uh, the next scene here uh, takes place as Picard's about to try to leave the Enterprise. Uh, he doesn't really involve the crew at first. He's trying to do this on his own. He doesn't want to make them ruin their careers because he feels that he's basically at this point sort of left Starfleet. He's about to take off in the captain's yacht, which is named the uh, Cousteau after Jacques Cousteau, uh, which was sort of an idea of Patrick Stewart. Uh, he he's, was a big fan of Jacques Cousteau, and they named the captain's yacht aboard the Enterprise first time uh, and last time at least for now that we've ever seen this little ship that hangs underneath the primary uh, hull of the Enterprise. Uh, but the crew sort of discovers this and sort of calls him out on it and, and meets him there. Rerouting the transport grid to avoid detection was wise, sir. However, the transporter is rarely used after 0200 hours. Taking the captain's yacht out for a spin? Seven metric tons of ultritium explosives, eight tetrion pulse launchers, and ten isomagnetic disintegrators. Looks like you're planning on doing some hunting. Return to your quarters. That's an order. No uniform, no orders. Captain, how could I look at another sunrise knowing what my sight cost these people? I feel obliged to point out that the environmental anomalies may have stimulated certain rebellious instincts common to youth, which could affect everyone's judgment. Except mine, of course. Okay, Data, what do you think we should do? Saddle up. Lock and load.
They won't begin the procedure while the planet is still inhabited. So, our job is to keep the planet inhabited. Will, Geordi, go back and put a face on what's happening here. Make the Council see the Baku. It's too easy to turn a blind eye to the suffering of a people you don't know. I'll be back before you know it. We'll hold out as long as we can. Yeah, so they rush down to the planet, put up all these transporter inhibitors and try to keep, uh, like Picard says, keep the people on the planet, keep the Baku there, uh, and uh, to avoid what's about to happen where they're trying to uh, uh, use this Sona vessel to uh, basically uh, harvest all this material from the rings. There, there's a lot of good fun elements, comedy stuff in a way in this movie because of the, what it's doing to the crew, the radiation, and youthening them up. And uh, the next clip is is uh, one of my favorite uh, little bits of it. Uh, it all sort of affects the different uh, people aboard the Enterprise in different ways. And, and here's, uh, here's a little scene back uh, down on the planet after they arrive in the captain's yacht. And have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up? Not that we care about such things in this day and age. Uh-huh. Thank you, Data. Not craving for the blood of a live Kolar beast. This environment must be affecting me again. And have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up? Not that we care about. Take cover! Ah, <laughs> oh, Data, he's uh, uh tell, talking to Worf there with his gorch, with his Klingon pimple on his nose. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, just fun, funny stuff. Um, next, uh, we discover something interesting. I thought uh, th- this is a, a neat bit about the Sona and the Baku being pretty much uh, basically the same people and uh, from the same race. Uh, you know, the I didn't mention that much about Michael Westmore and all the effects that he does on the Sona and the skin stretching and the gross stuff they do on Roafu is his name, uh, played by F. Murray Abraham. Does a great job as a bad guy here, I think. But, man, it, there's some gross uh, scenes with that in this movie. The makeup is done very well. These guys are trying to basically uh, keep themselves youthful and, and uh, stave off you know, old age and things sort of by artificial means because they're not uh, being exposed to this radiation like the Baku are. There's some outcasts that, uh, that left their world a long time ago. So listen to uh, this clip. Marshals. If a court-martial is the only way to let the people of the Federation know what is happening here, I welcome it. The Enterprise has destroyed one of my ships. The other is on fire requesting assistance. The Enterprise would only fire to defend itself. Ruafo must have ordered the attack. I can't believe he would have given that order without your consent, Admiral. I wonder which of us will be facing that court-martial. There's nothing further to be gained from this. You're right. This is going to end now. The Baku want to stay on the planet, let them. I'm going to launch the injector. You're not going to launch anything. In six hours, every living thing in this system will be dead or dying. You would kill your own people, Roafo. Your own parents, brothers, sisters. Didn't you know, Admiral? The Sona and the Baku are the same race. just told us our DNA is identical 
Which one were you? Golna. Rotin. Those names, those children are gone forever. What's he talking about? A century ago, a group of our young people wanted to follow the ways of the offlanders. They tried to take over the colony, and when they failed... When we failed, you exiled us to die slowly. You're Rotin, aren't you? There's something in the voice. Would you be his friend, Golna? I helped your mother bathe you when you were a child. She still speaks of you. You've brought the Federation into the middle of a blood feud, Admiral. The children have returned to expel their elders, just as they were once expelled. Except that Ruafo's need for revenge has now escalated into parasite. It was for the Federation. It was all for the Federation. Yeah, so a nice little twist there that they're they're all the same. Kind of reminds me of some, uh, you know, they've done that in other Star Trek stories before where two people who thought they were so different and were against each other uh, had lost track even a little bit, but actually were from the same, uh, you know, same people. They're the same species and everything. Uh, one, one thing I didn't mention yet is a lot of the sets that they used in this movie were things they've, uh, they sort of gathered from other, uh, shows a lot from Voyager because at the time Voyager was being worked on, uh, they, uh, they cannibalized some different things. Uh, Data's, uh, shuttle was a shuttle from Voyager, uh, some of the different scenes aboard the Enterprise, the different quarters and Troy's office and things were from Voyager sets and, uh, just uh, they tried even some things that were used on Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. They they just tried as much as they could to save a few costs in that way. Uh, next clip. Uh, this is near the end. Uh, Picard gets over to this a little array that they're going to use, and Ruafu follows him to stop him, and they they sort of meet up. This kind of had, to me has a sort of a similar end, ending. <laughs> Excuse me, there uh, to generations where Picard's racing to stop some device that's going to go off and mess things up for someone, and uh, the bad guys sort of following him. Report: It's Rafo's ship on screen. Sensors are reading over hundred Baku on board and one Klingon. Target their ventral engines and life support. Set a collision course. Stop! Ruafo, we're getting too old for this. After today, that won't be a problem for either of us. Separation in 30 seconds. You're really going to risk igniting the exhaust? All right. I will. He would. Good line. Uh, there, you know, we the, the one silly bit of here in this uh, near the end of this is, you know, when uh, Riker pulls up that little joystick, which is actually they did use a, a Thunderbird PC joystick 
for that control column to to you know maneuver the enterprise around i i don't quite you know it's like what's up with that i, I just thought that that was unnecessary you know have the helmsman do it i guess they want to have the hero be the you know one of the main actors perhaps i don't know not sure why they decide to do kind of really kind of silly stuff like that especially things you've never seen any reason or any other time they've done that but uh uh that's about it for the main clips uh you know of course they destroy the array picard gets beamed off at the last minute there's a cool shot of the enterprise flying in to rescue him so uh in, in one of the story ideas though that rafa was going to actually get away in in this he wasn't going to die there they were going to he was going to get pulled off too at the last minute and get in managed to escape but uh i'm kind of glad they didn't do that uh I, I don't like you know where the bad guy gets away a lot at the end of movies i i'd rather them settle it and uh come up with a new one for the next film uh, one more clip, though, from the movie itself, and, and then we're going to get into some listener comments. This is just towards the end. I like to play kind of the ending of the movie. And this is uh, back with the uh, the cast on the, in the Baku village kind of saying their goodbyes. But I have 318 days of shore leave coming, and I intend to use them. It's time to go. I have to go home now. Bye. Bye. Mr. David, I hope we'll see you again. Data, don't forget, you have to have a little fun every day. Good advice. <laughs> Pick out your enterprise, seven to beam up. Energize. got my look at star trek insurrection uh good movie uh, definitely a, a lot of fun to see again and talk about uh, some interesting ideas and uh, you know the crew kind of going off renegade and, and, and fighting against uh, you know what they were trying to do there on the planet and you know just some nice moments for the cast and, and kind of like a big episode in a way to me this this uh this one was like uh, not quite so epic as, as first contact and that kind of stuff or even nemesis 
uh, but just a fun another uh, romp for them to have. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit to, and uh, like talking about it for you all of you. And now let's listen to some comments from uh, some of uh, the people uh, on the forum, I think, have sent in some, uh, you know, what their take is on this movie. And the first one up is uh, from Billy Bob, uh, Joe on the forum. Hey, Rico. Hey, Trex and Sci-Fi. This is Joe from Toronto, Billy Bob from the forums. And I am calling in to talk a little bit about Star Trek Insurrection. Um, Despite what a lot of people say about this movie, some the general uh, consensus seems to be that it wasn't necessarily the best Trek movie. I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, when it first came out, uh, it came to me as a bit of a surprise. I hadn't really heard that they were making a new movie. I guess I wasn't really on the ball with movie news and stuff at the time. And so I kind of went into this movie not knowing what to expect in any way. I didn't really know anything about it. And... Um, and as I said, I enjoyed it. It's To me, it's kind of like the forgotten Trek film, because a lot of people say that, oh, it's not so great. And Most people that I know, at least, uh, tend to forget about it. You tend to forget about watching it. You tend to forget about the events that happened in it, uh, which is which is unfortunate, because I, I really think that it's a very, if I can say, pure Trek movie. It's a very pure Trek movie. Uh, it has a very strong message, which, to me is uh, something to the effect of uh, should we stand behind progress at the cost of our humanity? So, you know, should we wipe out all the life on this planet or remove these people off this planet because we can get something out of it, you know, at the cost, without their permission and at the cost of their way of life? Uh, on top of that, it has it has a lot of good action, both on the planet and in space. You know, the Enterprise does take a bit of a beating, and Everyone on the planet is running from from kind of the assault droids, if you want to call them that, or whatever, and they all get transported away and hide in caves and whatever. So, you know, there's a fun chase. And the best thing about this movie is uh, a lot of the time it's it's fun, it's funny, and there's some cute scenes, you know, a lot of times with Data interacting with, with the locals, especially uh, the boy whose name I can't recall at the moment, you know, who's never really seen an artificial life form before, and, you know, Data just walking into the the lake and everything with Riker and Troy, Riker shaving his beard and, you know, Worf and Jordy and, ev- and Dr. Crusher and everyone just kind of, you know, feeling younger about themselves and feeling better and you know, it gives you a good feeling at the end of the movie. And also another great thing is it's always fun to see Picard get the girl. So, uh, on the whole, very fun movie. You know, not the greatest absolute Trek movie in the entire world. You know, it's not Wrath of Khan or anything like that, but uh, it is definitely an enjoyable an enjoyable movie to watch and, you know, whenever it's on, I uh, I flip over to it or, you know, sometimes I pull out the DVD and give it a watch, so thank you very much. Yeah, I agree completely with what you have to say, Billy, uh, or Joe. <laughs> it, it's just a nice movie, and like you said, it, you end with a, a very nice feeling. I, I, I agree. I, I I really like the stuff with Picard, Picard and uh, Anij, and and the and also with Data and the little boy. You know, to have fun. You know, being important, and uh, it's just uh, there, there's just so many good little moments like that in this movie. 
it, like you said, it may not be the best, greatest ever Trek film, but there's a lot to like here. And you know, when it came out, the reviews were actually fairly the the you know the movie critic reviews were fairly positive. It, it's really the Trek fans that kind of go, oh, you know, Star Trek Insurrection, blah blah blah, you know, whatever. And I you know I don't really feel that way about it at all. Uh, there's a few little things you can always you can pick anything apart, but again, overall, very enjoyable. Uh, film to see. I, I didn't say that much yet, and I, I'll just mention it real brief, but the music in this film, I, I really like a lot, too. It's by Jerry Goldsmith. He did the soundtrack, and there's a lot of very nice melodies, and, and you know, I'm not a music expert, but I, I do know what I like. <laughs> I guess most people do, but I, I and I do like the soundtrack to this film, so that was just something else I wanted to mention. Uh, before we go to another comment, this one's from Kenny and his comments about Insurrection. Hey Rico, it's Kenny from California, and I just wanted to give you my thoughts on the TNG Star Trek movie, Insurrection. Insurrection is one of my favorite TNG movies. It's my second favorite, just under First Contact, which was my ultimate favorite TNG movie. And I know it's gotten its criticism, and I think it's because it did air after first contact you know we had first contact and it was this huge blockbuster and it was action-packed and it was just great you know compared to generations which is which was another kind of story driven uh plot um and then you get this insurrection and insurrection is again a nice story driven plot there's great character building there's you know there's a little action here and there but it wasn't this huge action-packed movie like first contact and I think it's unfortunate because Insurrection is a really good movie. The writing was great, the story was nice, and it was a great character-building movie, which I always enjoy. And I know there was criticism, you know, that it was just like a, a two-hour, a two-parter uh, episode of TNG on the big screen. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? I don't understand. It's a two-hour episode of, of TNG on the big screen. That's a plus to me. That wouldn't be a minus. Any reason to get TNG on the big screen is fantastic. So I don't understand people who complained about that. But you know, you know, everyone has their opinions. And I know I will always enjoy Insurrection. I can sit down, pop it in, watch it over and over, and still enjoy every single minute of it. So to me, as a Star Trek fan, um, I loved TNG's Insurrection. One other thing that I really enjoyed about Insurrection was its music had some of the best music of a Star Trek film. I can listen to that soundtrack over and over. It's just beautifully, beautiful music. And I think it enhanced the sweet story that Insurrection had. So, when you add all those elements together, you get a really great addition to the Star Trek movie series. Thanks, Rico. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks for your comments. Always great to hear from you and what you have to say about uh, whatever we happen to be talking about for the weekend. And I know that uh, this was a favorite of yours. And I agree again with what you said and what Joe said. It's uh, it's just got a lot of good elements. I'm glad you mentioned the music. Uh, just uh, you know, that was a nice little setup because I I didn't really uh, know you were going to say that before I mentioned my comment just before yours about the Jerry Goldsmith score. It's a very nice score, like you said. And uh, we've got uh, one more here. And, it, you know, it's great to hear all your different takes, and I and I love getting these. So uh, send those in whenever you can, anyone, uh, treksf at gmail.com. Uh, I always try to announce what I'm talking about the next week, so I always like to hear a variety of opinions. And next we have Rick Moyer and his comments about this movie. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen, Moyer777 on the forums. And I wanted to make a couple of comments about 
the movie Star Trek Insurrection. I thought this was a great movie. I know some fans didn't really like it a lot because it reminded them of an extended episode. But you know what? I loved the Next Generation TV series. I thought it was great every week. Of course, I think my favorite thing of the entire movie, there's a few things, but my favorite thing was the music. As a musician, this score in particular was fabulous. It, it, it had such a dynamic range from uh, confrontive and, and action sequence kind of sound to these beautiful harps and violins and romantic kind of time slow down capturing essence. I don't even know how to describe it other than I was fascinated by the score of the movie and, and purchased it as soon as it was available, and I love it. I just love it. I can listen to it over and over and over. Um, let me see. Some of the greatest things in the movie to me, were, I really liked the Baku Village, and I loved it when uh, Data was in the invisible suit, and that was just, it, it took me back to science fiction at its best. And the, the cool, I knew they had to do all these special effects to have, you know, people look like they were invisible. It was, just, it was great. It was a great feeling. It reminded me of that episode of Who Watches the Watchers when when they were observing this culture. And uh, here they were doing the same thing here, and, and but they were walking around in these invisible suits. I just, I love that. I like the briar patch. I love the cool graphics for that. Um, the cool ships that they had, the shuttlecrafts and stuff were great. The song when Picard and Worf and Data are all singing. That's just fabulous scenes. Um, I liked how people were getting younger. That was kind of cool. And I really liked the scene with the hummingbird when uh, Picard and his girlfriend or his lady love interest um, slowed down time and that and that hummingbird did its, did its thing. And it, just, it was just really cool. I liked the show. It was a, a great movie. Things I didn't like too much was the stapling of skin and all that junk. That was kind of gross. But uh, other than that, I thought the humor was great on the show, too. It is a gorge. And uh, have you noticed your... Well, I won't even go to that comment. But anyway, very, very fun movie and, and heartwarming. So there you go. That's my take on Insurrection. Really enjoyed the movie. There you go. Have a great one, Rico. Thanks again for reviewing the movie. And thanks for doing Treks and Sci-Fi. It's a great podcast. I love listening every week. Well, thanks so much, everyone, uh, Rick and, and 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 Kenny and Joe, for your comments. Uh, just fantastic. It really helps round out the podcast, I think, for everyone. And uh, it's nice how everyone has sort of similar things to say, but you guys all say something just a little bit different too, and you all respond to you know certain elements differently and and in, and in a different way or more than than the other. And it just really blends and rounds things out great. And and I. I just really appreciate having those to play. Uh, it makes the makes the show a lot more fun for me to do as well. And uh, you know, you guys, uh, this this uh, this movie is just uh, like you said, very nice and very nice to see. And, and I was happy to uh, talk about it. Hope I hope I mentioned a few things maybe you didn't know. Uh, there's some good information out there online. You can find out uh, more if you'd like. Uh, it's always difficult to cover every little nuance and aspect that I found out uh, but even before I uh, started the podcast today. But uh, just cool stuff, and uh, we'll be doing Nemesis in a, maybe another month or two uh, as we head closer to uh, the new Star Trek film in May. 
I want to play now, though, before uh, we end up the show, which we're getting pretty much near the end. I've got to play the answer segment to uh, Vartok's uh, musical uh, segment on the, the Chris Frank uh, music from B5. everyone, this is Vartok again, was the answer to the question posed earlier to what is different between the Christopher Frank music you find on his CDs and the TV series. Well, the answer is that Chris is one of the very few composers who will take his short clips from the various scenes in the TV series and marry them together into suites on his CDs, sometimes taking up to 10 days to do so. For example, if you look at a typical track from Babylon 5, War Without End, you might find a 10-minute track with a composite title, Babylon 4 Transfer, Vastros Revelation, and Let's Go Home. By the way, this answer segment started with the Babylon 5 main title theme from Season 3. Christopher Frank's listing in the IMDb database currently runs to 107 entries. Some that you would easily recognize other than the ones I have already mentioned include the Tommyknockers, Public Enemies, Movie Magic, Tarzan and the Lost City, Pacific Blue, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Amazing Race, Super Nanny, and Big Brother. When asked not too long ago about where he would like to be in 10 years, Chris answered, I want to have a sense of balance. I want to become more wise and mature, and yet still keep a sense of wonder about the world like a child. I want to know about things, yet also to keep a certain spontaneity, to become wiser, to never lose that sense of wonder, and to become closer to the meaning of life. Yes, that's where I want to be in 10 years. You've been listening to one of Christopher's favorite tracks, Messages from Earth, from the CD of the same name. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico. Well, thanks, Vartok. Uh, great to hear from you again. And uh, another excellent music segment. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, his music for Babylon 5 is fantastic. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. And uh, I will have to check out some of his other stuff. I know most of those that you mentioned, uh, I've seen a lot of that stuff. But a uh, really good good composer. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show. I, we're running long this week. Uh, it's uh, no time for a collectible, <laughs> as happens quite often. I, I want to mention a couple quick things, though. One, uh, there's this neat little thing they're doing called the One Second Film that, uh, well, I'm not going to go into it. You can learn all about it. Uh, there is a link to it to, with a little photo of me holding a little certificate. Uh, it's basically a, a charity thing. Uh, just go to the main treksinsci-fi.com webpage over on the right-hand side, right-hand column. You'll see that. I th- Click that link. It should get you there, and you can learn more about the One Second Film 
project that's going on. Also, next week, we'll be covering a two-part Voyager episode, Dark Frontier, which uh, is sort of a kind of a heavy Seven of Nine and Borg episode or set of episodes. I think that was the season four that one was in. So that'll be on next week's uh, Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Until then, uh, I hope everyone has a great week. Uh, The weather is getting a little bit less crazy cold and and we're kind of melting some of our snow away so that's a good sign i hope i am going to end the show this week though with another excellent song by mr rick moyer this is sort of his uh take and uh, sort of his uh answer to some of the uh the nitpicking criticisms that some of the star trek movie trailers the recent ones have gotten and some of all the stuff that people are talking about the way the ship looks the bridge looks the cast looks the uniforms <laughs> it's a it's a great tune and, and i know you're all gonna love it, it it's it, the name of it he uh he named it shut up and let's just go is what it's called so shut up and let's just go to the star trek movie on may 8th 2009 and until next time uh, everyone take care live long and prosper and all that and i will talk to you again soon bye bye good luck Always had a hard time finding your place in this world. Are you talking to me? You can settle for an ordinary life. I dare you to do better. Shut up and let's just go. It's an Abrams film, you know. For a new take on the old spaceships, now shut up and let's just go. It's a Star Trek mass machine, I bet he changed the uniforms. Now not so cheesily, the fans go easily. Gone is Shat, it's us that ought to be. About the spark, it's not attainable. This time out, it's not so cranial. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. Shut up and let's just go. Hey! And don't worry, Star Trek fans, JJ's new frontier is under construction. He wrapped up in time. Star Trek last week, and we're editing now. It was the most exciting, challenging, and satisfying experience. The cast was spectacular. Shut up and let's just go to the movie, just so you know. I don't care what shape the nacelles are. Now shut up and let's just go. Siler can be the new Spock, and I like the new Kirk really a lot. Oh, so critically, you are dancing me. Gone is coming in the Trek movie. The bridge is bright, it's not affordable. I want something unignorable. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. I ain't steaming, I ain't taking this. Shut up and let's just go. Hey! The cast is spectacular. The movie is, I think, so much fun. So I'm just, I, I'm just dying for you to see it. You'll have to wait just a little bit longer. Star Trek is due in theaters May 2009. So
until you see the new release. Hey, shut up and let's just go. Hey! You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti. Copyright 2009, all rights reserved. TreksInSciFi.com